This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Yeah, that's true. So it's a problem for all of you. You think when you win one game 5-0, the next one you're going to win 5-0. So in the real world, not in the fairy tale, so uh, it happened quite quite often. So uh, today when I see the, the, the Sheffield is now in the bottom of the league right now, and, uh, and you see his team, you realize how tough is the Premier League. So I cannot imagine the reason why. So always we struggle a lot to beat them. Every every season, last season, two times, this season is so, so tight, but uh, we make an incredible performance. So we knew it, but we were our commitment. We play incredible well in many areas. So we could sit few again, and a team like can create it. And um, yeah, we didn't create much, but enough to win the game and so satisfied for the commitment for all the players. Off the ball kicks off now on BFM 89.9. Pep Guardiola speaking after the Man City machine kept on rolling at the weekend. 12 consecutive wins, I do believe. Wow. Um, It is the Monday show. Hello. I hope everybody's enjoyed a, a, a very constructive federal territory day if you live there and all that. <laughs> you can tweet us and tell us about it. We may not reply. Um, you can also tweet at BFM Radio. Follow us on, on social media, BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook. And we have a YouTube channel featuring a brand new video every Friday. It's TFIF on video. Right then. Hello to Kamraslan. Good evening, sir. Hey, Ross. How are you doing? Good, good. Good, good, good. Cam said he's watched a lot of football. I'm sure Craig Wilkie has. He's still beaming from from Salah's second goal. Uh, hello, Craig Wilkie. <laughs> Good evening. Lots to still be beaming about from a Liverpool perspective. <laughs> yeah, they're coming good with City on the horizon. So much to discuss. Nicholas Anil is also here and he's beaming because Leeds won again. Hello, Nick. Hello, Ross. Yes, indeed. Biggest win of the season so far. There's no reason not to smile. Well, apart from the fact that I didn't captain Bamford, but that's another um, story. Neither did Bamford. So there you go. <laughs> um, all right, then let's start looking back at, at the weekend's action. Man City won, Sheffield United nil was Man City's 12th successive victory. It was Pep Guardiola's staggering 500th win of his managerial career. Um, that's over 673 games. Now, that's a pretty good win record, Cam Roslan. It is. Uh, do we have the champions? I think we probably do. Uh, they have a game in hand. They probably have to lose, what, three times? And everyone else has to win three times. Uh, and yet, I wonder if Guardiola walked away from that feeling completely happy. He's, he's got the team that has easily the highest uh, goal gain against the team with the second worst. And you don't have to win 10-0 every week, but they didn't really, I guess they didn't have to try too hard after scoring the goal, but they didn't, and there weren't that many ideas going on there with uh, a Man City that could have, if they really wanted to, perhaps yeah. crushed them. But both both the heavyweights for me this season are, are different beasts. We'll talk about Liverpool in a sec, but, but Nicolas Arnil, City this season have tightened up at the back. So much so, one goal wins it for them. They, they no longer have to go swashbuckling. You can almost see them conserving energy and running at the right moments. It's almost as if it's a very, very well-oiled machine, although it's not like swashbuckling stuff. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be, you know. Um, everyone expects uh, Man City to have a certain approach. You know, they, they are required to go about their business in a fluid style. They're expected to have a lot of goals, you know, because they have... Uh, goal scorers all over the park. But I think Guardiola has sort of redefined this City team because if you look at them last season, you know, they were full of goals, but at the back, they were just shipping like nobody's business. And for me, the integral part of the change that the City team has brought about is the arrival of Ruben Diaz. Um, mm-hmm. he's, he's just so rock solid. You know, he's, he's young. And the fact that he's so versatile with different uh, uh, partners, you know, he was with uh, John Stones and uh, yesterday he was with Emerick Laporte. The thing about Diaz is that you know his his style of play is so mature. You know he almost seems like a veteran centre back in his approach. You know he's not uh, overly committed. You know he doesn't jump into rash tackles, and he's 
communication is what has impressed me the most. You know, he's always loud, he's always vocal, he's always reminding his players that they should be in their uh, designated positions. And I think that has been one of the the major uh, improvement uh, that City have shown this season, and an excellent buy. Uh, it uh, it once again you know goes back to Pep Guardiola, you know, to to, to sniff out these kind of players. Uh, who would have thought a, a a player from Man uh, from Benfica, you know? Coming into the Premier League, adjusting to life, you know, having such a weight uh, of expectations on his shoulder, and you know, given that responsibility to start, and immediately expected to shine, and in the way that he has done so, you know, it's just been amazing. Yeah, whilst City have been brilliant, Sheffield United haven't been utterly rubbish. They've literally just losing games by the odd goal here and there, but. Craig Wilkie ultimately asking them to win twice in a week in Manchester is just just one step too far. Possibly just a little bit, and that's been my mantra for most of this season, right? That Sheffield United are not as bad no, as not. their points, to- really as their points yeah. total would would have you believe. And I've watched quite a lot of them this season, and their performances have been okay. They've just been missing that little bit, especially in the final third, and and we saw that again. At the weekend, of course, away at Manchester City is a very difficult place to go. It's a very difficult place to go and try and pick up points. So they they won't be feeling too bad about it. I mean, their the performance was all right on the night, um, and that's not the sort of game that's going to define their season. But the trouble that they're in right now with how few points they've already picked up, they've really got to start winning games soon. Yeah. Of course, they had that great result at, at Old Trafford, but they've got to start winning games around from those around them at the bottom of the league. But yeah. let, let's talk about the the big thing in this game, right? Which is, I think we. Most of us got burned by Pep again in our fancy football, <laughs> fancy football teams. And, and I really think it's getting to the stage now where the FPL need to introduce a special Pep chip. Either that or he has to be forced to announce his team prior to the game week deadlines because or, it's happening too often yeah. now. <laughs> or at least three wildcards per exactly. season. So I, so I captained Sterling, I, I brought in stones. <laughs> <laughs> That's nothing. I, I saw Callum Wilson. <laughs> I, I saw Callum Wilson brought in uh, Calvert Lewin and captained him. So, yeah. All right. Well, well done, Man City. Great win. Unlucky Sheffield United. They have to start winning. Let's move on. Arsenal nil. Man United nil. Uh, Manchester United drop points for the third time in four Premier League matches. Uh, Lacazette, I guess, came closest camp. To scoring a goal, his clip-free kick hitting the bar after the break. But uh, yeah, I, both managers happy with the point, are they? You think? Um, uh, no, uh, but I, I, it was a very entertaining match for a nil-nil, and uh, I thought that uh, I, I felt like Rashford in particular just uh, wasn't on his game. It was like he was distracted almost. Uh, Manchester United failing to really achieve anything. But what really struck me for the first time in I don't know twenty odd years, what is the point of Arsenal? Uh, they, yeah, really, they're like they're not a, they're never going to challenge. Perhaps if you gave them a, a Thierry Henry or a Bergkamp or a Vieira, they might make something. But they're really, I, I just I don't get it. I, I get more enjoyment out of watching uh, Crystal Palace, quite frankly. I, I I don't. I'm beginning to lose interest in Arsenal. They're never going to do anything. Yeah, it's it's a massive rebuilding job from Arteta. And, and you get the feeling that this Arsenal side is, what, 40% of what he probably really wants it to be. So a long way to go yet. But still, they need top six every season whilst rebuilding goes on. And there lies the pressure of Premier League football. Um, uh, all right, let's look at Man United here. Um, I mean, if Arteta's kind of happy with the point, um, Solskjaer... Nicholas Arnil, I mean, they were talking about challenging for the title. Now, um, surely that's off the burner. That was silly talk all along. <laughs> Do you believe that, Ross? I have to ask you. Uh, Do you believe that the title is out of the question? No, I, I, I always I always said crazy talk from day one, really. <laughs> I mean, come back to me in like April, May, and then... <laughs> but no, I mean... It's a falling away of form. I mean, we saw uh, Cavani. Uh, we, the United fans were crying for number nine to play out. It's, I mean, Cavani makes a difference up front, but he was off his game. He, he maybe should have put one of the three chances he had away. And if you don't do that at this level, you're done for. Yeah. Um, well, first and foremost, I think we have to stop these uh, zero-zero games, especially at 1.30. It's not doing anyone any <laughs> 
to stay up till 3:30 and not get a goal out of you know uh, this game this highly anticipated game uh, of course like come mentioned it was much better than uh, the united liverpool uh, goalless draw uh, but um, i thought this this was a tale of two teams who actually made an effort to go for for it you know but um, you know it defenses trumped over our attack and, and talking about cavani in the first half i thought he was starved of any chances so you know it it, it wasn't um, uh, like he was you know getting a lot of chances he had to drop down deep to try and get support um, and you know when the glorious chance arrived at the end uh, it it was it was difficult you know he had to take it uh, because the ball was coming at the back of him and you know, he had to secure a bicycle kick to try and get it on target so i i wouldn't blame him altogether mm. uh, but united would definitely be uh, the more aggrieved of the two teams uh, not to come away with something for arsenal and arteta i think he, they would be definitely happy with a point you know four points from two meetings with united you know two clean sheets as well at that um and considering the fact that you know he missed a little bit of fight up front abumayang was was not there and lacazette you know i think he's injured at the end um so arsenal uh, uh, arteta would definitely be the happier of uh, both teams yeah it was very telling that luke shaw who gave uh, an interview to malaysian tv post match talking to alison bender on astro uh said that uh, he he was just saying it was a really bad week he really got it that they didn't win and i that was refreshing as as a football fan a united fan you you look at that and you go okay that's a reaction of a draw we're on the right tracks here but um great wilkie um arsenal you see the progression you, i mean we only saw glimpses of odegaard but i mean the youngsters the martinelli um you, you know they they all looking to click or they really will when they do eventually wow how scary will that be maybe well it remains to be seen doesn't it i think the the important point that you made earlier was how big a rebuilding job it is and it's been a huge rebuilding job for a long long time i mean wenger tried to do it in the latter years that, that he was there that's that's how long this project has been going on you know emery came in and and failed arteta now has an opportunity to do so and these these things do take time but of course in the modern game you don't get a lot of time You know, no. we've seen that already this season at, at different clubs. That, and the point again that you made earlier. You know, you've got to rebuild, and at the same time, you've got to stay within a certain level just financially. <laughs> you've got to try yeah. and make the top six or or whatever it is. And Arteta, over the course of this season, we know it's been up and down. There's been spells where it started to look like it's coming together. There's been spells where it's fallen away a little bit again. I think where it has come together is where he's put more faith in the young players. You know, it was unfortunate he had some of them missing. For the weekend game, you know Saka, Tierney, who I think has probably been their yeah. player of the season yeah. so far. He's still a young player, got a lot to offer. So he needs to get those players playing together regularly. He still definitely needs some some more additions. I don't know that we'll see many other than mm. Odegaard for for January, but come the summer he's going to have to spend again and try and strengthen that side. And then so next season will be a a bigger and truer test for Arteta, I believe, than this season. But he still has to get them back into some sort of contention right now. All right. Uh, 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 draw point each then for Arsenal and Man United. Saturday evening started with a shocker. Everton nil, Newcastle United two. Um, started with a shocker because I looked at the fixtures and I thought, right, do you know what? Everton at home, Newcastle away. I'm selling the Newcastle number nine, Callum Wilson. I'm buying Dominic Calvert Lewin, the Everton number nine, who's coming back into form, and I'm going to captain him. And we all know how that worked out. <laughs> Callum Wilson maybe unlucky not to get the hat trick. He hit the post as well. Um, Newcastle well worth their win, and it takes some pressure off Steve Bruce. Uh, cameras land. Well, uh, you know, you, before that, you would have thought you could actually bet your house on <laughs> Newcastle. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and we were we were talking we were talking about it just a few weeks ago. Are Everton the real deal? They were flying high. They were doing great. I, I just I cannot I cannot brain this match, and uh, the only people who will be more upset will be Newcastle fans because they're going to have to start perhaps getting behind their manager. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, you you said in your notes a reversion to four four two. This is really old school playing, and it works. It can't work again. I don't know Newcastle. This is a weird season. I, I don't know what to say about these people. And do you know what Newcastle's resurgence started when they? Got the new coach in, and he wasn't named Steve, because all the other coaches are, are Steve Clemens, uh, Steve 
Harper, I believe, Steve, I don't know, but this new guy isn't called Steve anyway. And yeah, the change in information and all that, but it's a blow to Everton's top four hopes. Maybe they were too high hopes anyway, Nicholas Anil, but um, certainly a blow for European football. They need to be winning these type of games. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, it's uh, two, two setbacks in a week, you know, uh, the one against uh, Leicester as well. Um, which they were quite unfortunate, um, you know. I think uh, on the back of that match, they were they were expected to come away with a win, but a slip from Jordan Pickford. But coming into this match at home against a struggling Newcastle side that haven't won in what eleven matches, um, Carlo Ancelotti described their performance as lazy, and I think he was spot on in describing that because they were just lethargic all over the park, you know, getting the second balls, uh, not defending uh, set pieces. Uh, and just not being alert of the surroundings. Uh, for example, Callum Wilson's first goal. You know, I, I thought for me, this is one of the best headers that you'll ever see this season. You know, but the fact that he was given so much of time and space mm. to jump and direct the header into the bottom corner. Superb header says, though. Yeah. yeah, it was a magnificent header. But you've got to look at the marking and, 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 and the... And the presence of the Everton defenders, which was nowhere to be seen. Mm. So this was definitely points lost for Everton. But I think they can have no complaints because Newcastle obviously wanted to turn uh, the performance around. Uh, we saw a little, a little bit of resurgence in the loss against Leeds, you know, uh, even when they went 2-1 down, you know, they're trying to force their way back into this match. And all credit to them. All credit to Callum Wilson as well, who is yeah. heavily involved, you know. I just read a stat that he was involved in 67% of Newcastle's goals this season. That's and how important he is. Yeah. Four essays. That is that is simply amazing. And I think the change that Steve Bruce has done, take, taking out um, uh, the tall striker, uh, Andy Carroll, and bringing in uh, Ryan Fraser has also, um, you know, worked wonders for Callum Wilson yeah. because Ryan Fraser is a bit more mobile. You know, he's uh, opened up space. You know, he's dragged defenders to him, whereas Andy Carroll is just, you know, he's a target man. Yeah. 4-4-2, switching to 4-4-2 really worked for Bruce. Um, good win for the Geordies. Bad day at the office for the Toffees. Right, first break. Stick with us back right after this. They are off and running in 2021. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Well, the rules have been clarified and, and they've looked to, to balance things fair in a fair fashion. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. And we're back, back with Cam, Craig and Nick looking at the weekend's action. Uh, Southampton nil, Aston Villa 1 was our first glance at VAR. <laughs> um, yeah, perfectly good goal. Uh, an equaliser from Danny Ings denied to Southampton because his arm was in front of the butt of James Justin, I believe, Craig Wilkie. Uh we, we don't want to get too much into it, but yeah, I mean, it's costing teams, right? It's, it's costing a lot more than that. So let's get into it a little bit. And we've said this before, it's not just about VAR. It's VAR in the broader context. So I've never been a fan of VAR before it was introduced, when it's introduced, since it's been introduced. But the problem is VAR itself, to me, is not fit for purpose. The lines that are being drawn on those pitch are not accurate to me and they're distorting the game. The game that we grew up playing and watching is not the same game that we're experiencing this season since VAR is introduced. The, it's also showing us how unfit for purpose some of the laws of the game are. The offside law, which used yeah. to be relatively straightforward for everybody to understand, is now almost incomprehensible. We literally don't know what an offside is or isn't anymore. And VR is obviously playing into that. And, and for me, we've seen it's not just about individual teams and everyone has their own kind of hard luck story with VR and goals getting disallowed. But there are so many perfectly good goals, which in any other season would have stood, which are now being just ruled out for, to me, utterly ridiculous reasons. Yeah. And I think we also have to go one level deeper and ask a question to the officials as well, because let's remember that there are human beings sat in front of these screens there are human beings determining what is going to be looked at, what's not going to be looked at, and how it's going to be looked at. And even with this new technology that they have at their disposal, they are still making wrong decisions week after week after week. And personally, for all that we've supposedly gained through this experiment, I don't like it. I would much rather go back to hating the referee after at least, at least making his own calls, he and, he and the, the rest of the officials. And yes, some of them will be right and some of them will be wrong, but 
I'd love to know the stats, but as, as far as I'm concerned, we haven't had a huge increase in correct decisions. Or where we have had technically correct decisions, I don't want to see them as technically correct decisions. Yeah, you know, I mean, if, let's if face it. If we're talking yeah. about a millimeter yeah. here and there, yeah. that's, com that's completely against the spirit of the game as far as I'm concerned and yeah. the spirit of the law. So it's, it's a failed experiment. But I think the most disheartening thing is that I've not heard anybody in officialdom come out and really explain any of this or say this is what we're doing behind the scenes to try and make it better everybody just seems to shrug their shoulders and, and go on and then next week we'll have the same conversation and maybe next month and maybe this this time next season which that's probably the most disappointing thing and and again let's let's face it that we start this whole segment talking about that and we kind of to some extent ignore quite a good game of football exactly around, yeah. around it you know and and great credit to Villa for for going to well, and I kind of informed Southampton and coming away with a with a very good result. I think Saints have actually hit a slightly sticky patch just in the last few weeks. Even in the the cup win that they had over Arsenal, I didn't think they were at their best. So they need to kind of re rediscover a little bit of their form. But yeah, an another good game spoiled by VAR, unfortunately. <laughs> but Villa <laughs> have been getting good results of late, and they've been Jack Grealish inspired, Cam Ruslan. Uh, don't you love it? this this throwback footballer with his socks really short and mini shin pads and do you know what i mean oh yeah very chris waddle isn't it uh, <laughs> I, I i do i do i think he's fantastic and um I, I do hope that he can be they can find room for him in the england squad i mean for me it's a it's one of those you know why didn't uh hoddle get more games kind of thing um but uh and my favorite kind of goal uh a header i think it's officially yep. now yeah, I, I really love that. But can I just add one final thing with the VAR, right? I, I've, I've never been for it. And I've always been uh, against attacking referees because they're humans. But all of you people out there, back in the day, before VAR, when you were screaming about referees and all that kind of thing, stupid people haven't got any eyes, I want you all to write a letter of apology <laughs> to the referees union, send it to them, say you'll never do it again. Uh, because the, the people who have been quiet are the referees because they've had the heat taken off them. I, I don't know, because the referees are the ones in the rooms. And it's really simple. You've got technology. You marry that with common sense because you understand the game more than anybody else, supposedly. Anyway, it's not a total hour on VAR. So we move on. <laughs> we move on. And we talk about Liverpool. Talk about ominous machines, City, earlier on. Liverpool are coming good, and heck, are they coming good. If you haven't seen the goals from this match, I, I suggest you strongly get on YouTube, check out the highlights. The second goal, Salah's second goal, was uh, a counter-attack which took 10 seconds, five touches, and every single touch was sublime. I mean, it pains me, Nicholas Anil, as a Manchester United fan, but I'm doing a job here. For radio, I understand that. No, but uh, I mean, with my neutral hat on, Liverpool, wow, delicious football, right? Yeah, and even David Moyes said, you know, we were we we lost to the to the team, the much better team on the night. Uh, this was always going to be a tricky uh, contest for Liverpool, you know, facing up to a West Ham side who are pushing for Champions League places at home. You know, but the way that uh, Liverpool went about their business was amazing. Uh, they had winners all over the park. You know, Trent and Alexander Arnold was amazing. Jordan Henderson, you know, stepped back into that centre back position, and he was immense as well. And you look at the midfield. Uh, Wijnaldum basically controlled the midfield uh, with Alcantara. They they did not give any space for West Ham to to create any sort of creativity or any chances at all. And you know, capped by brilliant goals. Uh, you look at Shakiri's pass to uh, to Salah. I've I've never seen someone uh, who who just crosses first time. You know the fact that he knew that his runner was already in front of goal and you know just one time sweep it right in front of Salah who controls it first time and a deft touch to find um, the his second goal. You know just says so much about uh, how Liverpool have gone about their business, especially in the last two games. And I think Jurgen Klopp came out and said you know that. We had an internal discussion. We discussed what went wrong. And, you know, everyone knew their roles uh, coming into this game and they executed it to perfection. 100% yeah. performance. It was, it was engineered 100% by Jurgen Klopp. The moment changed when Curtis Jones came on in, in the second half. And it's been a season, Craig Wilkie, when Liverpool, champions of England, 
have had to firefight um, to a massive extent with loss of, of key players and all that. But after a little blip, you see now that it's been worth it. Klopp's methodology, you know, believe in the players, work hard. It's all paying off and, and it's coming good again at the right time. Yeah, there's definitely a lot to be encouraged about from, from last night's performance, um, especially the goals, as you mentioned. I mean, the, every goal was a, was a fantastic bit of yeah. football involved in, in the creating of them and the, and the finishes were, were fantastic as well. Uh, I think the thing about Klopp is that he's a very experienced guy. He's been around for a long time. He's been around at Liverpool for a long time now as well. So while maybe some of we supporters were panicking a little bit over January um, and some of those performances and some of those results... I don't think he was really. I mean, I'm sure he has his concerns, especially still with the, the centre-back positions and maybe the way that the front three, front three were misfiring slightly. But he knows, he's got trust in that group of players. He knows what they're capable of and he knows that they're more than capable of performances like the one they produced against West Ham. And it's that type of performance, it's that type of mentality that they need to take into to the rest of the season. And I think I've, I've, I've heard some pundits, Paul Merson, for example, coming out and saying that Liverpool maybe haven't had as much credit as they deserve for what they've done this season with some of the injuries that they've had. And I think you have to give Klopp and that squad some credit for, for where they still are. And I think City probably are still the favourites, given where they are in the league and just how they're going along and the, the machine-like performances that they're putting on, as, as you mentioned. But Liverpool are coming back and showing that they're not going to give up this, this title without a fight. And it's, it's going to be great. And I just hope that we get to see a genuine title race over the next few months and not just Liverpool versus City, but hopefully a couple of other clubs still involved in that as well. And yeah. that'd be a really good thing for the game. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Man City and Liverpool clash at the weekend. Oh, celebrating. Uh, Liverpool have brought in reinforcements. They've signed Preston North End's Ben Davis for a reported £2 million. Yes, if you're asking, he is a defender because it wouldn't make sense otherwise. <laughs> Camera Aslan, we go to the break with, with a quick word about how well West Ham have been doing. All right, hands up. They were up against a Class A team. But Moyes and West Ham this season have been superb. There's talk of a new contract on the horizon. A lot of West Ham fans, if you're asking people to write letters to referees, they all got to write letters to David Moyes, don't they? Yeah, uh, you know, you people, you Manchester United people, you, uh, <laughs> you know, you dismissed him. He oh, no, 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 no. The Manchester United people's letters to David Moyes remain. That, that's that's <laughs> a separate affair. <laughs> okay. No, but I think credit to Liverpool also, because it's a high-flying West Ham, as opposed to a Sheffield United who are really yeah. down on their knees. And uh, well done to Liverpool for, for really sweeping them aside. It was some beautiful goals there. Beautiful goals, beautiful game. Pains me to say. Right, we're going to the break and I'm going to take a sip of water, calm myself down. Stay tuned. More after this. Immediate thrust, recognisable certainty and a nasty dig in the ribs. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Five yards out, unchallenged, unmarked, makes absolutely no mistake. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Welcome back. In the two minutes that you were away, Lionel Messi earned £648. I know, because it was all over the internet at the weekend. <laughs> Welcome back. Cam Razlan, Craig Wilkie and Nicholas Arnil joining me on this lovely Monday evening to look back at the weekend's football. Of course, you can tweet at BFM Radio. You can find us all individually on Twitter. Follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook. And check out our YouTube channel, TFIF on video. Leicester City 1, Leeds United 3 was the most entertaining game of football over the weekend. Patrick Bamford. What a gent he is. Uh, had a role in all three goals. Leeds give as good. I mean, we all said on, on Friday that this would be a great game, Nicholas Arnil. And I'm sure you're happy. You're a Leeds United fan. It's now two wins on the bounce and they're playing good football again. Yes. Um, amen to that. Um, this was always going to be a tricky tie uh, because, you know, Leicester are informed side. You know, they're top six side and we're playing away from home. Um but the character shown by this Leeds United team, uh, for me, this in, in this particular game, stood out more than any other game so far. Because as soon as they went a goal down, 
you know, you've kind of expected uh, Leicester to uh, increase their tempo and, you know, double that advantage. But Leeds immediately went on the front foot, uh, didn't give uh, Leicester much room, they equalized shortly after. And I think from then on, it was pretty much Leeds who had the initiative, you know. Yeah. Uh, in the first half, you know, Patrick Bamford had a header practically clawed off the line by Kasper Schmeichel. Unlucky not to go into, uh, into the break with the lead. And in the second half, they did really well to absorb Leicester pressure. And the conversion rate in the second half, two shots, two goals, speaks volume about the team. Uh, this is a different Leeds United team uh, from the one which we had seen last season. Because last season, even though they are champions, they had pretty much all the possessions, but the possessions sometimes weren't converted into chances, weren't converted into goals. Uh, what we're seeing now is a very lethal Leeds United team. And I don't have to say anything about Bamford because, you know, the, the performance, you could all see it for yourself, you know, uh, selflessness, the awareness yeah. and that quality strike, uh, which, you know, uh, needed no, no, uh, uh, there's no uh, explanation that I could say that, you know, would, would describe that goal. You know, he didn't even need to take a look before shooting, you know, he just got the ball. He knew exactly where the keeper was. He knew exactly where the top corner was, you know. And that set the tone for Leeds to go on and get that valuable three points. And this was important because not only are important three points for Leeds to edge a little bit more closer to safety, but it also has a bearing on the top of the table as well. Yeah. What's, what's so great for a neutral like me watching Leeds United is you know they're learning on the job every week, every match. They're learning week by week. And they're still entertaining. So that, that's in a nutshell what it's all about. A word about um, Leicester City. Um, Jamie Vardy's going through a hernia operation, Kamraslan, and without him, they, they're really what they're forty percent down. Leicester City without a Jamie Vardy. There was a there was this one point in the match where Schmeichel collected the ball, and in a normal match with Vardy playing, he would literally have chucked it to the byline where Vardy would have been hugging, and he would have got onto the ball, cut inside, had a shot on goal. But because there was nobody there this time. Schmeichel held on to the ball, chance lost. Just an example, a big one, actually. Yeah, every, every step of the way, the, the, the whole logic of uh, Leicester's perform, uh, performance, it, it depends upon Jamie Vardy. Uh, otherwise, it's sort of like, just didn't quite make sense. It's like, what are they trying to do? The, the first, their first goal was actually really well worked. And, and I was thinking, oh, you know, Leicester have got, uh, an answer to the lack of Vardy, but after that, they they didn't have that outlet. Although I was thinking, you know, Bamford would be a nice replacement for Jamie Vardy, and I, and I, I've been watching Bamford, and I'm I, I'm wondering now is is it going to be one of those ones where it's like, could you take Bamford out of Leicester, put him in one of these top teams, out of Leeds, yeah, and would he be a great player? I don't know. I, I I think he has something quite special. I think that's a good shout because Craig on Friday said um, Ings for Leicester as a Vardy replacement would also be a good signing. I think both carry a lot of merit here. Um, all right, let's move on. Good win for Leeds. The Leeds project looking fine. Leicester, bad day at the office. I'm sure they'll, they'll bounce back. Let's talk about Chelsea and Thomas Tuchel, the new man in charge, celebrating his first win and two clean sheets. I don't think that's been done since the Rafa Benitez days, I do believe. Um, but uh, Aspi Liqueta and Marcos Alonso, Craig Wilkie, with the goals. Whoever was Marcos Alonso's youth coach, and said to him, listen, you're a left back. You're a wing back. Has done everybody in this world of, what, of football watchers a, a real bad one there. Because they may have denied us one of the most natural finishes in football. I swear. Well, I can understand why you say that after the goal he scored. It, it, was, absolutely, it was absolutely sensational. And we, we talked about what a great goal Liverpool, well, Three great goals, but especially the, the second Salah goal that Liverpool scored, which is very much a team goal. And this one was just a piece of individual brilliance. I mean, three touches, the way he takes the ball down, just tees it up for himself and then swivels as far as by any chance of saving that. The Chelsea goals would have come from two fullbacks and two fullbacks who early in the season we might not have even expected to have been playing. So that's quite an interesting turnaround. Obviously, when a new manager comes in, uh, it's going to be a change in the squad and some players are going to be in favour, some players are going to be out of favour. And I think we're going to see how that all works out over the next 
few weeks and few months. Um, but already, I think I've read a stat whereby in the two games that they've had under the new boss, they haven't conceded any, any shots on goal on target over the course of those 180 minutes, which tells you something about the impact that he's made already. And even I've seen some Chelsea fans indicating that just some of the, the tactical adjustments that he's made or some of the comments that he's made about individual players and what they need to do to develop, you can see that he's more experienced than Lampard. Now, of yeah. course, that's true. I, I, I still have the belief that Lampard was pretty harshly treated in the, his, first, his first bad spell <laughs> culminated in the sacking. But that's, that's the Chelsea way, right? And mm-hmm. you can see, I think it's going to be, you know, a player like Jorginho, for example, right? Who was so key under, under Sarri and then, then kind of fell out of favour. And is now back because he's got a manager who really believes in dominating games in terms of being in possession, being in control of the ball, making sure that you impose yourself on the opposition. And he wants playmakers, the likes of Jorginho, the likes of Kovacic to go out and do that. So it's going to be very interesting to see just how far up the league Chelsea might go as a consequence of this change. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on Thomas Sukel, Cam? Have you got any thoughts on, on, on him? It's a, it's a tough job, isn't it? I mean, coming from... French football to, to the EPL. Uh, yeah, I think that with uh, with this uh, victory, I think he's he's shown that he does deserve more time. Um, <laughs> I think he, he deserves at least at least two at least one one or maybe even two more matches in charge. Uh, at least till next session. week. Yeah, <laughs> at least till next week. I think he he deserves that. And uh, I I was wondering, do I need to remember this man's name? Um, but I, okay. <laughs> I'll I'll make the effort, Thomas Tuchel. Let's see what happens. But uh, all football fans are fickle. Uh, Chelsea fans are fickle in their own way. Winning is sometimes not enough. It's the way they win that they want to see. And who knows? I don't know if he'll win that way. Jorginho, I didn't even know he was still there. Yeah. I thought I thought he'd been taken out and shot a long time ago. I didn't I didn't know he was still playing. I don't know. For me, if that's the preferred system, if you're Hakim Ziyech, you might be a little bit worried that your game time might not be very high uh, in future. All right, let's move on quickly. Talk about Brighton 1, Spurs nil. Uh, Seagulls earned their first home league win since June. First one of the season. Well-deserved. We've been saying week in, week out, Nick, that uh, Brighton are all right. They play a good brand of football. And this one was deserved, um, albeit because Spurs were tragically bad. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it amazes me how an absence of one talisman, you know, sort of depletes the whole team uh, almost instantly. Uh, you can see, uh, you know, how much they were missing Harry Kane up front. But take away no, take no credit away from Brighton and how about how they went about their business. That goal was the beautiful. First goal. That goal was yeah, beautiful. It, yeah, it, it was worked in the training ground and you know executed to perfection. You know, um, the Spurs defense had no answer. To uh, that that goal, and I think they sh- they should have scored another goal uh, towards the end. It was just amazing yeah. block by Ida Warrell that uh, you know denied a. Now Connolly, you got to look at yourself here, Aaron Connolly. You cannot <laughs> miss that. Come on, come on. I don't think I, I don't think he even realized Ida Warrell was there. You know, his, his aim was just to <laughs> to try and stick it in the net. They didn't realize the position that the defender was there. And, you know, he just shot straight. But uh, amazing performance by by Brighton. You know, they were far the better team. And if they keep up this kind of performance, you know, uh, there's no saying where they could end up. Uh, uh, I think uh, Graham Potter, you know, he's built on the on on the work done with this Brighton team from last season. We all know what a good manager he is, and and the team that he works with, you know, he doesn't have a bunch of superstars with him, you know, but he's got a very close knitted squad, and they all work for each other. And, and this was the epitome of the performance against uh, Spurs. Yeah. All right. Well done, the Seagulls. More about Spurs right after this break. No happy return, but a reality check bordering on a rude awakening. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. For this season, off and running with a goal inside eight minutes. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Thanks for sticking with us, Nick, uh, Cam and Craig here. Looking at the midweek fixtures, it is match week 22 happening Wednesday, Thursday, Friday morning, our time. Sheffield United versus West Bromwich Albion is a basement battle. Um, I think both teams are doomed, really, Craig. Don't you agree? <laughs> it's starting to look that way, isn't it? Uh, probably the, 
the worst bit for both of their weekends would have been watching that Brighton performance in yeah, all honesty yeah, because absolutely. Brighton are the one side that you were looking at thinking could get dragged down into it but if they carry on playing like that then they'll play themselves to safety and then then the bottom three start to look pretty marooned but as I was mentioning earlier with Sheffield United their performance levels have not been that bad over the course of the season but this is a six-pointer if ever there was one I mean they they absolutely need to win this especially at home Similarly for West Brom, you, you talk about making the managerial change when they did, bringing in someone like Big Sam. What was he brought in to do? To win games like this one. Yeah. Absolutely. So there's so much pressure on both these, these squads of players going into this fixture. And I think you know, it's one of those games could easily end in a draw, which doesn't really do either uh, much of a favor. So somebody's going to have to go out and try and win it. And if they can, then just start to give themselves a little bit of hope. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get fearful for, for both of those sides right now. Sheffield United, West Brom is a Wednesday 2 a.m. kickoff. Wolves versus Arsenal is also Wednesday at 2 a.m. Wolves were disappointing. They lost 1-0, Nick, uh, at Crystal Palace at the weekend. Uh, they're going through a bad run at present. The guys on Friday were saying it's, it's, a, it's a change of system. It's a change of thinking, the way they're buying and selling players. It's a bit of a mess you feel for Nuno. Yeah, I do. Um, but, you know, you, you look at this Wolves squad and, you know, they haven't made uh, much changes uh, to the team uh, from last season. They still have the core players. The only ones that, that is missing is Diego Jota. You know, but the rest have been there and they're all... But Jimenez, missing you know. Jimenez is massive. Jimenez, yes, is massive. They've got yeah. William Jose, which I thought did an okay job in his debut, you know, and he will be looked uh, forward to try and provide some of the goals. But, you know... The others got to take responsibility as well. You look at the likes of Adam Altrao, yeah, you yeah. know, uh, uh, Juan Moutinho, Ruben Neves, you know, Nelson Semedo. You know, they have quality players all over the park. You know, it's just that spark that has been missing. Uh, they've, of course, been short of goals as well. Uh, but it's, it's not a time for them to, you know, look back at the predicament and accept their fate. You know, it's games like this where they really have to come up and try and impose themselves against an Arsenal side who will be struggling for goals as well. You know, they are still without Abu Mayang. You know, uh, Lacazette might not feature as well. Yep. So for me, if you ask me, you know, this is a potential uh, three-pointer for Wolves. If they can, you know, get a good start, try and impose themselves against this perhaps uh, young-looking Arsenal side, you know, there is potential for them to try and turn the buck. Worth watching this one because Martin Odegaard expected to get more pitch time. Wolves Arsenal Wednesday 2 a.m. Man United versus Southampton is a chance for Ole's Reds to bounce back, Cam Roslan. On paper, Southampton have been dire, should be ideal opponents, but. <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, throughout this season, yeah, but. Um, no, but I, I think on this occasion, I think that. Uh, United should win. It, they struggle with teams against that, that really park the bus. They, they, they don't seem to have the imagination to be able to really cut through that. But if you go at United you, and you, you allow space, they will punish you. They have the pace and the skill to counterattack on that. And, and Southampton is that kind of team. So, uh, yeah, it could be, it should, it really should, it should be points in the bag for United. I'm saying, what am I saying? That's crazy talk. <laughs> <laughs> Poor old Donny van der Beek. He put laxatives in, in McTominay's soup at lunch. And still, when McTominay went off, it was Anthony Marshall who came on, Craig Wilkie. It's not fair. It's not fair for poor Donny. He's trying everything, isn't he? Um, <laughs> he he's, he? He's definitely a player that's, that's been slightly underutilized as, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I, the interesting thing about the United-Arsenal game, I, I was listening to some of Roy Keane's comments afterwards. And what he was talking about was the mentality yeah. of going, going, going into a game like that and do you really believe that you're going to win or not? And, and he felt as though there was just a little bit of that lacking. And, and I don't know, because some of what I've given Solskjaer credit for is actually the way he's reinstilled some of that positivity around the club, a little bit more of that, what it means to be Manchester United. And he's been aided by the likes of Fernandes coming in and setting some of those standards. But I actually think when you look at Manchester United's games against some of the bigger teams, and it's debatable whether we still include Arsenal in that or not, but let's do so for now. And you know, we've seen nil-nil draws, yeah. right, pretty much uh, yeah. across the board. And I think tactically and even psychologically, Solskjaer just retreats a little bit in those games. It's kind of like, yeah, a point is, a point is okay. 
let's let's kind of defend and make sure we're secure first before we go really out and try and try and attack too much and commit too much forward. And I think that's what Keane was meaning about the mentality. As far as he was concerned, this was an Arsenal side there for the taking when you look at some of the players they're missing. And yeah. it's going to have to be the same mentality when it comes to Southampton. Because as we mentioned before, they are not in the same form that they were even a month ago. Yeah. So it's those kind of games that if you're going to sustain a title challenge, you've really got to go in. Not, it's not just about going out and winning 1-0, you know, the way the Manchester City have done. It's about that, that performance level, that belief that, yes, we are Manchester United and we win these games. Yep. Simple as that. Absolutely. Roy Keane doesn't even like to see players smiling after the final whistle. <laughs> Um, that's that's an absolute fact it really riles him um, alright Man City we talked about the Man City machine Nicholas Arnold they're away at Burnley who've been themselves in very good form apart from the Chelsea defeat Nick, Nick Pope was was uh, key to keeping that to 2-0 but Man City I read Aguero may be back and what perfect timing get him sharpened up for Liverpool at the weekend eh? <laughs> Uh, this is not 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 a fixture that uh, Burnley would uh, be wanting to uh, play, you know, especially after the Chelsea defeat coming up against this uh, informal Man City side. And you know, the return of Aguero will only, uh, you know, uh, give them more worries. I don't think he'll start. You know, I think uh, Jesus will continue to start. What I would like to see is more of Fernand Torres. You know, we saw how good he was on the right wing, and I don't think he has been given enough chances to impress uh, Pep. But when given the chance, um, we, we all saw how, how good he was, you know, uh, and there was a reason why Valencia did not want him uh, to leave uh, for City. And uh, so I think um, the City have enough uh, depth in the squad, you know, they had uh, Sterling on the bench, they had Mares on the bench, you know, so De Bruyne, as good as he is, will not be missed too much, especially with, you know, Aguero coming back and, you know, now Fernand Torres and all the other players that have been on the bench. Uh, I just think that City will be too good for Burnley. Burnley will put up a resistance, uh, but um, I think City's class will show. Yeah, fantasy football managers are all... <laughs> silly. Well, they're watching closely and listening intently, I may say. Um, all right, Man- Burnley Man City is, is Thursday at 2 a.m. Uh, Fulham versus Leicester could be fun. Both teams have been burned recently. Um, Cam, do you see how Leicester come back and win this? Or, or is this the one where Fulham actually get their act together and start winning? Could, could be. Could be, you know. I think that Fulham are doomed, ultimately. The gap is just getting too big. And the, the, that one point against West Brom really didn't help anybody. But I, despite the Fulham being doomed, I think that Scott Parker's stock, on the other hand, has gone up. He's done something at Fulham over the last, I don't know what, eight games where he's tightened up at the back and they're actually able to score goals. And now would be the time. If you're going to face Leicester at any point, now would be a good time when they're a bit a bit out of sorts without Vardy. Um, could be, you know, it really could be uh, uh, Fulham getting, um, getting three points. Okay. Um, Liverpool versus Brighton is probably a good tie for Liverpool to return to Anfield too. Um, it should be, Craig Wilkie. It should be business as usual. It should be no problems. It should be three points. Should be all of those things. That phrase, <laughs> that phrase should be. I feel as though we've used so many times this season, and comes comes back to haunt us. And it doesn't matter whether we're Liverpool fans, Manchester United fans, or Spurs fans. Maybe even 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 more so. Um, it's it's just been such a an incredibly bizarre season, which is which is why I feel as though the way that Manchester City have been going about their business recently puts them in the, in the driving seat. They've, they've been, I don't think they've been fantastic, but they've just been more consistent in, yeah. in grinding out wins and, and putting those performances together. Liverpool will obviously go into the game a lot more confident than they might have done two or three weeks ago. Um, so we, I think we just have to hope that, um, that that will continue and that there's maybe an opportunity, and I, I say this with no disrespect intended to Brighton whatsoever, but there's maybe an opportunity to to chop and change a little bit. I know even that happened to some extent against West Ham with a replay playing, for example. Um, so it's definitely reached that part of the season where all managers know that they need to use their squads where that's available. You know, a, a defender has been signed. That that was obviously something that was that was very much much required. Although I have to, I have to say Jordan Henderson. I mean. What a, what a season he has had yeah. in building on his kind of triumph of, of last season. And just 
not only his individual performances and going in and playing wherever he's been asked to. I mean, I'm sure if Klopp asked him to go on goal, he would do it willingly. He's become kind of as versatile as James Milner. And just, you know, we, we talked about it in the Manchester United context of those players who will go out and set the standards on the pitch for the manager. And that's what Henderson has been doing. Yeah. So you, you, I've seen some of those kind of audio clips of him, you know, talking, talking those around him through the game. Agreed. And he's been so instrumental in keeping Liverpool up there. Been fantastic. Yeah. He's he's his career Liverpool career actually didn't start very well, Jordan Henderson. And now he's injured. No, not at all. Yeah, not to, at all. To, his first name on, on Klopp's team sheet. Um, all right, Leeds versus Everton, Nicholas Arnil could be fun. Everton are a wounded animal here, but Leeds are motoring along nicely. I expect goals. I'm gonna stay up for this. If there are no goals, I'm gonna get you back on the show. I'm gonna have a go at you. Uh well, we, we're looking at the reverse picture, you know, it was an entertaining match, you know, uh, 1-0 to Leeds. Um, this time around, my only concern is the injuries that uh, Leeds uh, had, you know, towards the end of the game. We saw Rodrigo being called off, uh, Rafinha also came off through injury, and yeah. at the end of the match against Leicester, uh, Bamford was heavily limping. So that is a big concern uh, coming into this match. And if all three players are unavailable, um, Leeds are going to have some problems because Everton will definitely be an improved side. Uh, I'm sure Ancelotti has already been working with the team to improve uh, their positional play and you know their alertness from set pieces. Uh, and if Leeds do not have these three key players, it's going to be a tough ask. I am hoping for goals. I am hoping for a Leeds victory, but I'm a little bit wary simply because of the injury injuries that uh, you know happen uh, during the Leicester win. All right, Thursday, 3.30 a.m., Leeds United against Everton. Tottenham versus Chelsea is arguably the tie of midweek. It's Friday at 4 a.m. Jose Mourinho's had a bad week, Cam Raslan. Um, no, no, making, no filming documentary this week. There's going to be too much bleeping going on. Uh, but yeah. he, he's too experienced. He's going to get them back where they are supposed to be. No? Uh if uh, against Chelsea, you would have thought so. But but uh, Matt Bellotti, a Spurs fan, and uh, once of this show, was saying that the performance against Brighton was the worst he had seen in really thirty-seven bad. years. It was really. I, I, I don't. I don't know what happened thirty-seven years ago that was <laughs> so very bad. But but it was the very precise year, and it, it really was perf- appalling. And there have been some really appalling performances uh, this season from Tottenham Hotspur. Some some you know pretty swashbuckling gareth bale perhaps uh zidane and uh, real madrid did know something mm. um correct i you know yes so you would say well Mourinho must get it together but does he have the raw materials and does he have a commitment from his squad against uh, uh, uh chelsea that that really can if they get it all going they can punish anyone well this is it and Tuchel's knowing his team better and better day by day so that is going to be massive Tottenham versus Chelsea uh, is a 4 a.m. kickoff on Friday morning that's it we're out of time so I'm going to say thanks to Nicholas Arnil thank you Ross uh, thanks to Cameron Aslan thank you Ross and thanks to Craig Wilkie thank you very much have a good week everybody yeah uh, stay safe uh, speak to you guys on Friday bye now off the ball every Monday on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.